not every father is perfect. But the wonderful thing about Christianity is this. The, being a follower of Christ, we are introduced to a father whose love is unshakable. And in our little time together, as we go to John 21, we're going to see that Jesus is going to refocus Peter back to that place of his first love. And we're going to be able to see how relentless he is in doing so. He loves you. He loves me. And uh, let's just engage. So I'm going to pray for us. And we'll stand up and read the first three verses in John 21 today. Father, we are so grateful to be here. You've stirred our hearts enough to gather. You've stirred our hearts enough to reach out to Jesus. You've stirred us, Lord, and we're here, and we long to be ministered to by you. And we pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and minds to how gracious and wondrous you really are. And I pray that as a result of our time together today, that our, we just kind of fall a little bit deeper in love with you. That's my prayer for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So why don't we stand together? I want to read the first three verses. John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, eh, we'll go with you. And they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. You may be seated. So an encounter here, Peter, uh, a little bit disillusioned. You'll remember the last time we saw Peter, obviously was in an upper room. Jesus had appeared to him twice, once with Thomas, once without Thomas. But prior to that, we know of Peter's life. Peter had denied him three times. And I believe at this current exchange between him and Jesus that Peter is still carrying a little bit of regret and disappointment. Peter is disappointed in himself. If you recall, he told the Lord boldly that he would go even to death with Jesus. And we know that wasn't the case as the rooster crowed and he denied even knowing him. This is a disappointment, and it stung him hard. And I believe Jesus is going to graciously call his heart back to him because Jesus has a very special work for Peter, as he does with us. Now, as we engage this text, I would like you to look at it in two different ways. One, from the viewpoint of Peter, being the disenchanted Peter, the disappointed Peter, the failing Peter, the one who let his Savior down, Peter. Look at it from that perspective, especially you dads, because many times you'll find yourselves, you've let yourself down, you've let the Lord down, you've let your children down. And um, sometimes you need an encouragement back. I also want you to look at it from the perspective of Jesus and how he dealt with a distracted a believer of his, a, a distracted child of his, and how he reached into Peter's life. So as we go through this text, please keep those two things in mind. Now, as we see, Peter is a leader. 
He had said he was going fishing, and immediately six people decided to follow him to go fishing. And they went, and they fished all night, and that's what they did. They fished at night, and they caught nothing. Now, this is the setup. Jesus is going to take advantage of this moment because it will remind Peter of a very similar moment that we read in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, I mean, yeah, Luke chapter 5, we begin to see that Jesus met Peter, and because of the crowd, he had to go onto a boat and push off from shore. And he gets into Peter's boat, and after he is done speaking, he tells Peter to throw, go launch out into the deep and throw his net in and catch some fish. And of course, Peter said, uh, you know, we've fished all night. We didn't get nothing. But at your word, we'll let down your nets. And of course, they got the mother load, right? I mean, he let down the nets and they got all the fish. And at that point, Peter, seeing this massive load of fish, said to Jesus, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And at that, Jesus said, Peter, don't worry. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And then in all of Peter's zeal and impulse, he left the nets and the boats to follow. Well, here we see him back in a boat, back to the place of his old profession, back to a place of floundering, and he caught nothing. This is the setup. Peter hits a brick wall. And I want to share with us today that sometimes the Lord allows us to hit brick walls so that we will be open for suggestion. We will be open for new direction. We'll be open to be drawn back to Jesus' person and be open for new direction in our life. Uh, I've had the privilege over the last couple of weeks to be asked to help three people in this congregation to fix their AC. Guess what? I'm zero for three. (laughs) And uh, that tells me that I've hit a brick wall in that area, and the Lord wants me to refocus somewhere else. Um, Sometimes he allows us to hit those brick walls in our lives so that we will definitely be open for change. And Peter is definitely open for a word now. So having said that, let's continue our readings. In verse 4, we read, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some, as opposed to the wrong side, right? And uh, so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John who wrote this gospel, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord! And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. And so, go Peter, go, right? All the impulse of Peter's back. He just, it is the Lord, and he puts on his outer garment and just plunges into the sea to reach out to Jesus. This, This fire all of a sudden was ignited in Peter's heart at this catch of fish, because it reminded of of his first love days with Jesus. And he plunges in. And uh, 
And he just races the shore, dripping wet to meet the Savior. Now, he was veiled to their presence. That is, uh, Jesus appeared differently than he had before. And I don't know, many people try to explain it away, but I believe what Jesus is doing is training his disciples to recognize his movement apart from his physical presence because he would not always be with them, but they could always recognize what he was doing in their lives. And so we find ourselves in that particular place, right? We have not had the opportunity to have the physical presence of Jesus by our side, but we have to determine his movement in our lives. Back in the 90s, that was a common phraseology when I first met the Lord. Uh, we would always say things like, man, that was the Lord, or man, that's just like the Lord to do something like that, or holy smokes, God's and he's moving, you know. Those were common phraseologies, but you know what? I don't hear that too many times these days. I don't know if people even recognize when God's on the move anymore, but he usually is on the move when in your life he does something that is beyond your ability to control or fabricate, and you say, man, that's spot on. That's the Lord. And it's good to take note of those moments in our life so that we can recognize that he's right there with us, that he is fully aware of what's going on in our lives, and that he can interject into our lives when needed. It is the Lord. So they drag this load of fish to shore. Now, notice how Jesus dealt with them. Children, do you have any fish? <laughs> of course they didn't, and he knew they didn't. But what he was doing was highlighting their lack. He was putting his finger on the emptiness of their efforts, the shallowness of their fishing. He was putting his finger on the fact that they were floundering. And I don't know about you, but that's often the place where God begins to move in my life again. He highlights the emptiness of my pursuit. That's what drew me to him in the first place. And often when I've strayed away, that's what draws me back again. Certain emptiness. Uh, I recall even saying to Pam not too long ago, saying, you know what? I feel as lost as I did when I was lost before I met Jesus. I just don't know where I'm going. And, uh, and that is a good place because <laughs> that's where Jesus enters in and says, you, you are welcome with me. Please come and reignite that first love again. Now, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, you idiots. I put the whole world on your shoulders. You have the gospel message to go around the whole world. I cannot trust you with anything. I mean, he did not blast them. He did not chide them. He simply pointed out to their emptiness. And dads, aren't we good at pointing out fault? Uh, we have to refrain from that and maybe come at our children in a little bit of a different angle. And then also, if you notice a friend who's floundering, also graciously uh, reach into their lives. Chiding people never really draws them closer. It usually just 
pushes them away. Now, as we continue the story, we read in verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter, being like Simon Peter, went aboard and hauled the whole net ashore with full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come, let's have breakfast. Now one of the disciples did not, now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so a wonderful opportunity, Jesus and these uh, seven disciples enjoying breakfast at the shoreline. It's a very intimate uh, time. It's uh, maybe some joy welling up again. It felt like old times again. And what Jesus is doing is stirring up their hearts again to the place where it was before he had been crucified and taken away from them. And they're having a great time of fellowship. But I would have to say for Peter, what he's probably feeling is a little bit of joy and then a little bit of regret. There's a double-edged sword here. Yes, he's reminded of the fish and the loaves and the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, I'm sure. Uh, the good days with Jesus when everything was happy. But he also saw the coals of fire in which they laid on. And his last time of denial where he was warming himself at a fire denying Jesus and looking up and seeing his eyes as he denied him the rooster crowed. And I'm sure Peter is still carrying a little bit of regret and sitting there. And sometimes it's like that. You know, our hearts get stirred up in a church service or a conference or we get alone and we're stirred up. But then something of our failure reminds us again, maybe it's all over. Maybe Jesus really doesn't have anything for me. Maybe I've just blown it one too many times. Maybe as good as it is and as good as it was, I'm just not there anymore. So Peter needs some encouragement, and that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. We read on in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? And they said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon. And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so three times of an affirmation of love for each one for each denial that Peter it's shared at the fires at his arrest, at Jesus' arrest. 
Jesus asks Peter a very poignant question. Do you love me more than these? Now, many people wonder what the these are. He had just hauled up a whole net full of fish. He had just gone fishing, caught nothing. I personally believe it's the fish. It could be something else. But simply this, do you love me more than these? And that's the question that Jesus always asks a straying son or daughter of his. Do you love me more than whatever it is that's pulling you away from me? Do you love me? And that's really the basis of all our service. We will not give our time and our talents and our treasures to the kingdom work of God apart from a genuine love for the Savior who bought us with his blood. And there will not be a departure from temptation apart from a genuine love to the Savior. And he always says, do you love me more than Well, in this passage, you wouldn't see it in the English, but if you were to read it in Greek, you would notice that there are some different words for love being used here. One, agape, you've heard, unconditional, and one phileo, which is more brotherly love. But it goes a little deeper than that. Phileo is a fondness. It's, uh, it has affection attached to it. I'm very fond of you. It's... it's uh, Maybe the tenderness of a grandpa kissing the head of his grandchild or a boyfriend and girlfriend just hanging out and being fond of one another's company. It's that kind of phileo. Agape is a little different in the sense that it encompasses phileo, but it goes broader than that. And the only way I can illustrate it is the difference between marriage and going steady. Going steady, you're fond of, and it's good, and it's great, and we're going to hang out until something happens. Marriage is a mental commitment that says, you know what? I have a great fondness for you, but I am going to make a solid commitment to you that I will not be shaken from it. I am going to be in this hell or high water, thick or thin, good or bad, I'm with you. That's agape. And so if we read this again, it, we would read it like this. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Are you committed to me? Do you fully commit yourself to me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I phileo you. I'm very fond of you. Second time, Jesus, do you... Agape me. Peter, are you willing to commit yourself fully to me? No matter what. And Peter said, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. I phileo you. The third time, Jesus goes, Peter, do you phileo me? Are you fond of me? Really? And that's when Peter got grieved. Oh, Lord, you know all things. You know I'm fond of you. He wasn't able at that moment 
to say I fully commit. We sing songs like I surrender all, but you know, until the all is taken. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we feel like, we realize we didn't really surrender at all. This exchange, at least Peter's honest at his level of love for the Lord Jesus. And it doesn't stop Jesus from still using him. He'll get there. Peter's going to give everything for Jesus. And Jesus now gives to him a new direction. He says, Peter, you're no longer going to be a fisherman. You're going to be a shepherd. I need you to have that mental change. And Jesus often will redirect us into something differently. To open our minds up to embrace something differently, mentally even. Now, think of fishermen as I ramble Fishermen do four things with fish, right? Who, who, who here fishes? Anybody? One person. Nice. Two people. Three. I don't fish either. It's just too dull for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> don't mean anything by that. Uh, I've just offended. <laughs> um, so anyway, fishing, you do one of four things with fish. And correct me if I'm wrong, fishermen. You catch and release, Right? And so often the church does that, right? They catch them in the gospel net and they release them out and never get trained up. You catch and eat, right? Hey, we're going to have some fish tonight for supper. And often the church will do that too. They'll catch them with the gospel message and then begin to expect the fish to feed their desires. And then three, or you can catch and sell. And often the church will do that too. Catch them with the gospel in net and profit off the fishes that just came to their church. And the last thing you could do with the fish, besides just throw it away, I guess, is to mount it, right? Look at the fish I caught. And look at it, it's right there on the wall, that massive thing I just caught. And often the church will do that too, right? They'll catch the gospel net and look at how big my ministry is. Woo-hoo-hoo. Oh, yeah, let's mount this one. And he said to Peter, you're not going to be a fisherman anymore. You're going to be a shepherd. I need you to feed and tend my lambs. I need you to care for them. You're not eating off of them. You're feeding them. You're not profiting off of them. You're caring for them. And that's the mental shift Peter needed. Now, as we conclude, we'll read off the last few verses. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not wish to go. A lot of people in uh, senior homes like that. Anyway, this is this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about that man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. And as a final encouragement to us as a group of people who are seeking to follow the Lord, Jesus is now trying to remove this whole issue of comparison. 
We often do compare ourselves amongst ourselves, and Paul would say that would be unwise. Each one of our lives and each one of our children's lives and each one of your lives will look different from the life that's sitting next to you. God has a hand-picked, selected plan for each individual, and they don't always look similar. They don't look similar in size or scope, in influence, or even in, in giftings or duties or, or what you're to do for him. And often we might say to ourselves, but what about them? Look what they're doing. How do they do that and get away with that? Or look at that guy over there. He's so awesome and I'm so not. Or golly, I just read the news. That famous pastor just fell. What about him? And we may get disillusioned. Jesus simply says, follow me. What about that guy? Never you mind that. You follow me. What about them over there? Look what they're doing. Never mind that. You follow me. Oh, I wish I could do that. Hey, you never mind that. You follow me. And Jesus now gives Peter the opportunity to follow once again.